we're here this morning. Praise God for his steadfast love to save. Like, like that is the, the foundational everything, is that God has saved you, called you to a new life in Christ, and we will be with him in heaven someday. Now, this all happens, and the text today is while the gentleman Jonah is in a fish, three days in a fish. And you can see from this text, as we'll, we'll go on, that certainly, you know, Jonah kind of got what he was asking for, which was separation from God. But then Jonah kind of changed his mind. He's like, well, maybe that's not so good to be separated from God. But we'll certainly see all of that. And, and by the end, hopefully we'll all certainly be praising God for his steadfast love, which is his covenantal commitment to save people. Not to give them tons of riches and everything else, but to save people. So we, we love you, Jesus. So dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for bringing us here under your care and your stewardship. And Lord Jesus, just let us see your presence in our lives, but let us see your presence through your word in Jonah's life, as well as with the mariners and Nineveh. And so, Lord Jesus, we just certainly have a lot going on, and we, like all sheep, are easily led astray, as the prophet Isaiah said. But you, Lord, have laid the iniquities of us all on Lord Jesus. So we thank you for that. Thank you for the salvation that you've brought to us, and just thank you for being a part of our lives and for choosing us to be a part of your kingdom for your glory and our good. It's in your name, Jesus, we will forever pray. Amen. All right, so Jonah chapter 2, hopefully most of us are, are there now, but I did also include the last verse from the first chapter, because it really depends on the translation that you have. Um, the ESV does have verse 17 as Jonah being swallowed by a fish, whereas in, I forget what translations, but it's included in the second chapter as well, and, and it really fits the motif of it. So let's read, and let's talk about our Lord Jesus. And so the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It's almost like, let's save that next verse for next week. <laughs> but again, it flows into the text. 
And then if you look at the back of your bulletins, I did break it out into two different points for you. And then I have to nerd out and kind of explain a little bit of, of how this is structured so that we can see it a little better. This is a psalm, believe it or not. And this is, this is Jonah's psalm that, that he created, if you will. But you need to know that every verse from verse 2 through verse 9, not counting the first verse and the last verse of this chapter, are taken from the Psalms. Every one of them you can find from a different Psalm in Scripture. And so Jonah, it's important to, to note and to see that being in the belly of the fish for three days at the end of his life and at the wits, and you see a little more of his story of what he endured and what he went through before he was, after he was thrown overboard uh, from the last chapter, you see that, that there's certainly been an experience here. And that Jonah, in the midst of being in the belly of fish, you can see that the word is on his heart, and the word is still writing on his heart. And even more than him just knowing the knowledge of the Psalms and having them, he wrote this in what they call a, a chiastic, like, a, like poetry, a poem. The way that it flows, and, and so hopefully follow along with me here, A, B, C, B, A. So if you look at verses 2 through 6, verses 2 and verse 6 are similar. Verse 3 and verse 5 are similar. Verse 4 is the crux of the refrain, if you will, or the meaning of the message. And it's a very powerful meaning in verse 4. And you'll certainly see uh, the fall of Jonah in all of this. But then you see at the end of verse 6 the rise of Jonah in all of this. And so this can be very relatable to some of us, depending on how the Lord has you know, worked in our lives to save us. There is very much something to be said to lose yourself, to find yourself in Christ. The problem with that is, and we would kind of get into this a little more into the next point, is our identities about ourselves and our sin that keeps us apart from God. Because remember, God asked Jonah to get up and go, but Jonah got up and went the complete different direction. And we have a tendency to do that too in our lives. You know, we, we understand certainly what it means to be the church. We still have more growing, to, you know, sanctification never stops until, you know, the day that we're actually out of these quote-unquote sin suits and we're, and we're with the Lord Jesus, you know, in, in spirit fully. But until that time, we're, we're almost constantly rebels. And so in this and in this text, you see a helpful, or a helpless, not helpful, helpless, <laughs> yet very prideful Jonah that disagrees with God. Uh, and then you have the holiness of God and his salvation coming together. It's like this, <laughs> like this big, big punch. And can you guess who wins? <laughs> he always wins. He, he is the Lord, and he can do anything in all of this. But in that chiastic structure and understanding that, you see several repeated themes as well on this first point. The Lord, <laughs> the Lord first and foremost. And you see that the Lord's working in his life and the sovereignty of God in his life. That storm that came and what we talked about last week, sometimes God has to send you a storm and, and put you in a storm because that's the only way you're going to repent, in a sense, and turn from the direction that you're going in order to get back into his presence, his understanding, his will, and maybe his, his purpose for your life. Because we ultimately 
have idols. And that, that follows down at the end of the chapter in verse 8, and we'll, we'll talk more about it then. But we make life about ourselves, things that we enjoy, things that we want to be, want to do, and it's, it usually never ends up good. Like, certainly we have tons of identities and fathers and husbands and wives and sons and daughters and, and everything else, but a lot of times we can get our identity out of our possessions. We get our identity out of our uh, affiliations. We get our identity out of our ideologies of what we think is right. We get our identity out of our sense of morality and how much better we are than other people in that way. But the problem is always that we put these things above God. That's, that's the problem with idolatry, and that's kind of what you see. And so you see in this moment that certainly Jonah knows. Jonah is a prophet of God. Like we said last week, you know, you can reference in 2 Kings. Jesus even talked about him. The beginning of this, you know, the end of the first chapter, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was on the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Like it's a huge gospel ringtone there because Jesus even quotes that in Matthew and Luke and, and say this is, this is the sign that an evil and adulterous generation will get. The Son of Man will be resurrected. And then also just that last verse, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Very similar concept of, of, of death to life because dry land is where human beings live and exist. And then the same thing with Jesus, except he was resurrected and brought back to earth. And then the, all the apostles and the other people saw him and were witness to him, and they're like, this can't be happening. But it did, and it absolutely did. So you see that in, in this, the fall and rise, and you see God's deliverance. So Jonah, like again, because verse 2 and 6 are the same, just roll with me here for a second on these, as, as you see it, as it points out to you, and God, you know, out of my distress he answered me, and out of the belly of Sheol. And then you go down to verse 6, yet you brought my life up from the pit. And that's exactly what Sheol is. It's that darkness. It's that being away and that separated from God. Some people call Sheol hell in that sense. And so, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth that, that happens at that time. And, and that's exactly where Jonah was going. And that's kind of exactly what Jonah wanted in this moment in time. But there's an emptiness that's there too, because you're no longer in that presence of God. Be careful. Be careful what we want and be careful what we wish for, for sure. And so verse 3 and verse 5, you see the waters closed around me to take my life. You cast me into the deep. Again, this is something that we all need to wrestle with, certainly in our own times, in our own lives. What, what? God is sovereign, okay? Sometimes the bad comes because you need the bad to come. Sometimes the bad comes because there's you know, other people in your life that are really dealing with sin and they're, they're just kind of reckless and a recluse, if you will. But aside from the point, the biggest part of this is that Jonah got what he wanted in the end. And you see that in chapter 4, and it's, and it's broken out with a semicolon. Like, it's, a, it's the perfect separation. I am driven away from your sight. Now, this has been a theme throughout Scripture in, in itself, King David even said that at one point in time, but being driven from God's sight, and then you have the pit, and you have Sheol, and you have emptiness. And yet, Jonah will look upon God's holiness again, or his holy temple. I mean, it's kind of a you know double entendre there. Certainly in Jerusalem, there is the, the temple for worship, and Jonah is going to see that again. He knows that at this moment in time in 
the belly of the fish, believe it or not, uh, because God has saved him. But despite the, the anger and rebellion that he has, he still acknowledges that God is holy, and he's set apart, and he's different from the rest of everything, uh, rest of all creation, if you will. You know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so that holiness, that separation, is really important, too, because we are, you know, shaped and molded by the, our circumstances and experiences as human beings. That's where we initially come from. We were born spiritually dead to the ways of God. So until God gives us the blessing of the Holy Spirit to kind of interpret and understand, we're always led astray. But Jonah knows all of this. Again, I'm kind of you know, doubly repeating myself here because he is that prophet. So it may seem that Jonah is kind of repenting here, but I want you to know that he's not repenting here. What he's doing is he's thanking God for saving him, but the conflict that existed in chapter 1 is not resolved in the slightest. He still does not want to go to Nineveh. He still does not want those, those Nineveh, the Assyrians to be saved in the slightest. You know, there's still hate. There's still animosity there. There's still frustration. There's still everything, but he can still come back and appreciate that even though this is a really hard calling and even though you know I'm being a complete jerk and a rebel <laughs> you know to God in this moment that he still loves me and that he still ultimately cares for me and so even though Jonah is an inspired man in this moment it, this this whole thing attests both you know the inspiration of the psalms but also to the glory of, of God in this, because why does Jonah deserve to be saved? <laughs> there, there's no reason. Why did the mariners deserve to be saved in the last chapter? Why does Nineveh deserve to be saved? Why do you deserve to be saved? This is a big foundational fundamental question that's revealed in this. And, and you can see the complete rebellion of Jonah, yet the complete steadfast love, that covenantal commitment to continue to pursue, pursue you on your journey in life, even when you turn away. And sometimes God's going to have to send that storm in our lives. That, that makes us realize, okay, God's still here. I'm not, I'm not in control as I thought. I'm a lot more helpless than I thought. And, and so, again, you see a helpless yet very prideful Jonah and the holiness of God coming to meet together in this. And then Jonah ultimately is overwhelmed by the steadfast love of God in his life because he saved him, even when he doesn't deserve it. He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to go to Tarshish, which is as far away from Yahweh, in a sense. We all know God is everywhere. But as far away from the holy temple where God resides at the time of Jonah, because we know God resides within us now as well as other things, but in the time of Jonah. And, and, and he's running away from that. He doesn't want to be reminded. And Tarshish, there's no Jews there. It's, it's very like end of the world kind of thing at this moment in time. Um, 
and, and just to get away. And then he gets what he wants, and then he's like, this really isn't what I want. And he's singing a, a psalm of, of praise and thanksgiving. But even within this psalm of praise and thanksgiving, Jonah had to become helpless again. He really had to lose himself. He really had to get off the solid ground, which, which he did when he got on that boat, and then even more so when he was thrown over the boat. There is no solid ground underneath him whatsoever. And when you're running away from God, where is your hope? Like, I'm done with you. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Go away. Now you're on your own. But God won't let you be on your own, not if you're his child. He's going to continue to pursue you very similarly to the way he's pursued Jonah in this instance. And so why, this is kind of just a rhetorical question for us, why does it sometimes take a storm for us to turn back to God? Why? And why sometimes does it take a storm for us to realize that God is still with us and that he genuinely, sincerely cares for us? And it's because of sin. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the end of it. Because our sinful natures make us, uh, you know, big me, little God syndrome. It makes us egocentric. It makes us self-centered. You see this, that Jonah is moving towards a life that's based on self-reliance, not on reliance of our creator. And if you know in your heart, and you know about the hope that exists in this world, and you know about how it's been trashed, you know, the hope that you've had at many different times, whether it's family, friends, relationships, you know, materialistic things, that hope can be dashed. When you get rid of God, you've given up all hope because you're putting your hope in things that are like temporary rather than the things that are eternal and the things that you know, are going to stick and that are going to stay. You know in your hearts and in your minds that the promises of God are solid. They're solid. By the blessing of the Holy Spirit within us, we know this to be truth. And we know Jesus has saved us. And we know we can't do it on our own. Our own works and our own merit to earn our own type of righteousness in, in front of God because his holiness and our sinfulness are leagues apart, chasms apart. They've written songs about it. <laughs> so you can see that. And so sometimes, certainly, we have to lose our identity of what we're going through and lose who we are in that moment. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, and I'm sure that there's many other stories out there, that when God first really pursued me when I was 35 years old, I had to lose my job. I had to have fights with family and friends. I had to, you know, be made to feel like I was a terrible father, a terrible parent, a terrible son. Like there was so much that I lost of myself personally that naturally grew back and much better and much stronger, but boy was it hard in the beginning. Like that was that was like new new Christian. It was before I was even baptized. A lot of this was going on. That uh, you know certainly all that had to happen. And I can praise the Lord, you know, for it now. In the time I'm like, what is going on? Because I didn't know much much better. I didn't know anything like that. I was like, I thought this was supposed to be good and fun. And yes, it is good and fun. And that's why we can't sugarcoat things and be like, oh, it's always going to be just great and everything. Because if you've lived a day in this world, you know it's not. 
you know that there's problems, and it all stems from us, first and foremost, individually. And so, in order to remember our helpless estate, you know, it is well with my soul, as you know, we, we sometimes have to do this. We sometimes have to go through these struggles. We have to lose our current identity and remember the grace of God in his steadfast love that saves us. So we know that the things that we're going through have purpose and they have meaning and it's not pointless and it's not empty like the rest of the world and what we see and those that are out there that are lost, putting their hope in things that are fleeting, that can change like that in a minute. So we know he walks with us and we know we'll be with him again someday soon. And sometimes, most definitely, brothers and sisters, especially in these first verses, and even though it's not, you know, verse for verse on this, you definitely have to lose yourself to find yourself. Jonah had to go through this experience. Jonah had to be, you know, run away, go on a ship, be challenged by mariners, thrown overboard. Then you see, cast into the deep, drowning, seaweed around his head. You know, the bars at the bottom that they're talking about, sandbars swallowing him up. And yet God saves him with a giant fish. Like, I hope you don't have to go through this, but maybe you do. I don't know. Like, I'll, I'll be there if you do. Like, I'll help however I can and be part of it. But when it comes to giant fish, I'm not the most knowledgeable. <laughs> it's kind of my first experience, if you will. So we'll see how it all goes. But certainly the Lord loves us. Remember that. And we can praise him for his steadfast love to save that even when we're rebels and we're fools and, and when we... And certainly we're being challenged, and, and Jonah's rightly challenged, because the, it's a hard thing to save Nineveh when, when they're so brutal and violent and just not pleasant to be around. <laughs> that, you know, why, why would that? But remember God's compassion for all people, too. That's kind of the whole overarching point of this series in Jonah, is that God does have compassion for everybody, even the people we don't want him to save. He still wants to save and be a part of, and it's going to challenge you. And so, remember this, and it's the second point. Always remember that the Lord is salvation. Sometimes, certainly, we have to lose ourselves to find ourselves in Christ, but always remember that the Lord is salvation. That's the first and foremost thing. The Gospel of Matthew starts off with a bunch of names. Then when it goes to the part about Jesus, it says, they shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Yahweh means God is salvation. Yeshua means God saves. It's always been there, always been there. God's always been about this. And you can see he's always been about people because you've got the mariners in here, you've got Nineveh in here, you've got God's own people of Jonah in here, you've got all these people. A lot of times in the Old Testament, we see God just being for Israel. But you see that God's working to save Nineveh. You see that God worked to save the mariners. The good news of the gospel is that God saves people. God saves people, ultimately. And it's a the church, now that we have it, is multicultural, multi-ethnic, people from every nation, every tribe. It's not just Israel anymore. And then here's proof that it wasn't ever, you know, God's the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. Yes, with the establishment of the new covenant in Christ, it became much more clear. But here you have the Old Testament and the book of Jonah that also makes it pretty darn clear that even though Assyria is brutal and violent and, and that, God wants to save them. Even though the mariners can't tell their right hand from their left and they're worshiping a multitude of gods, God revealed himself to them 
and she gave them the faith to know through the through that monster storm, as well as the testimony of Jonah, that he's there and that he exists and he is the God of heaven and earth and everything that's in it. And so what did Jonah even say? The, the God of, of heavens and the dry land and the sea. So everything. <laughs> it's like he just he put it all in a big box, if you will. So in this, remembering that the Lord is salvation, verse 7, when my life was fainting away, certainly that's the last verses. You see him, you can, you can almost envision it, just the slow nature of dropping in the sea and, and the billows and the waves breaking over him and, and swirling around and the seaweed and being dropped to the roots of the mountains, as they call, or as Jonah said. Again, all of these are taken from other psalms. They're paraphrased a little bit, but Jonah really is just copying the book of Psalms, giving validity to it as well. And so when his life was fainting away, he remembered the Lord, which is a big deal. It's a big deal for us as the church now, but it was even a bigger deal for Israel. And to the, to the Jewish population today, there's the, the Shema, or the Shema. I, I can't even do the right <laughs> thing because uh, I'm not, but ultimately there, there is that prayer that they have. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it starts like this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I'm sure you guys have heard that before, right? Right? The two great commandments, yeah? Okay, I know I've said it. And then these words that I command you today shall be on your heart who you are as a person, human being. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You shall talk of them when you walk by the way. You shall talk of them when you lie down. You shall talk of them when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so I counted like 10. There's 10, like, here's how you're going to remember. You write it on your forehead, you write it on your eyelids, you write it on your gates, you write it on that, you teach it to your children, you do it. It's important to you. God becomes important to you. The long and short of it, that's what this means, is that love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. But ultimately, how important is God in your daily, everyday life? I would hope very because he is the one who's created you and everything that surrounds you. And he knows how it all operates. I would want to know how this all works. And be, by knowing Jesus, not just knowing of Jesus, but by tangibly knowing and caring and embracing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we continue to grow and continue to be sanctified. So remembering the Lord was very big for them. And I feel like it's just as big for us today, because without Christ or without God in our lives, like we're just like every other lost person that there is out there. We're all trying to make our own way, doing the best we can with what we have, you know, stepping on other people or being stepped on by other people as we all try to get our own because we all make it about ourselves. That's, that's the facts of who we are. That's the fact of sin, and you see that. And so praise the Lord that certainly, you know, we have these meetings and we have the church and we have, you know, tons of reminders every day. We have his word that we can ponder, you know, every day. We have prayer by, the, you know, access to the Holy Spirit. 
to you know communicate with God on a daily basis. We have tons of avenues and opportunities and, and everything like that. But this again being kind of the, the eclipse of this and, and the end of you know the poem, Jonah saying here that yes, while my life was fading away, I remembered you, God. I remembered your goodness and your loving kindness towards me in all of this. I remembered this. I had gone astray, most definitely. And so my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And again, kind of the double, you know, meaning here, certainly the holy temple, don't mistake the holiness, and certainly where God dwells is so much higher and so much better than, than where we're dwelling, because he's in the heavens, you know, he's in, he's in the temple in Jerusalem, and as remember that. And certainly it's also a, an homage, if you will, to the reverence of God's holiness and, and awe and fear of the Lord, if you will. Like, we do know that God certainly is everywhere. He's omnipresent, if you will, as well as omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipotent, which is all-powerful. We see all of these things. But what really hits home in this next one, because, again, we've got Jonah kind of being prideful a little bit here. Like, I called out to you. You heard me. Thank you for doing it. I did some of these things. I ran away. Somehow or another, you still love me. But... Then it's just fascinating that he goes into this because it's like, did you just did you just become a Pharisee? Well, <laughs> like those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. It kind of sounds like a jerk in a sense. Well, I I said it like a jerk, but it feels like it says it like a jerk in in this moment and what's going on in this because certainly that's truth. Like I want us to know absolutely that that is it is truth in our lives, but. Here's what's even more fascinating about it. Who is Jonah talking about in this? Is he talking about himself? Is, is he talking about other people? So is, is he talking about the mariners, maybe? Like, yeah, those mariners. Look at me. I'm in the belly of a fish. Those guys are still on a boat. <laughs> I'm in a fish. Like, could he be prideful about that? Could he be, you know, something to that nature? I don't know. What about the Ninevites? What are those who pay regard to vain idols for say, like, Jonah doesn't want to talk about the Ninevites, period. So let alone in a praise of, of, or a psalm of thanksgiving to God, why would he, why would he do this? Why would, they, why would they switch together? Makes no sense there. What about you? Is he saying this to you? Is he saying this to me? Is he saying this to the lost that are out in the world? And what's beautiful about this is that it could be any of those, or it could relatively be none of those, because he could have someone else on his mind at that same moment in time. And so let's talk about idolatry for a second. Because what is Jonah's idolatry in all of this? Why has he forsaken God for idols, if you will? And in Jonah, and, and I'm willing to put money, even though gambling's not good, uh, on this, that many of us, in, in all of our, our sense of justice and our sense of judgment for other people, that's Jonah's biggest sin in this. Jonah's sense of judgment does not correlate, does not jive, does not gel with God's sense of judgment at all. And let's be real, Jonah's sense of judgment is the kind of right sense of judgment because why does God save anybody at all? If it wasn't for his mercy and his loving kindness and his covenantal commitment that we call steadfast love, without that, he owes us nothing, not one thing at all. Does he owe us? And so that, that idolatry in the sense of, of justice, 
or the sense of judgment. Certainly there's a lot more that we could talk about on, on a personal level in this. But I want you to think about this too, in, in all those capacities, because you need to see what all of these are different idols. So maybe Jonah was talking about himself in that. And, and certainly Jonah's sins are his sense of entitlement or his own sense of morality in the form of the judgment of others as well as the, the sense of justice that he upholds. Because the sense of justice that we realistically should have is that God shouldn't save any of us. We're all sinners. We all deserve the just punishment that God declares for a sinner. Every one of us. Every single one of us. But because of his loving, merciful nature, and that steadfast love and that covenantal commitment that started way back with you know, Abraham, or I guess really with Adam and Eve, but, uh, you know, going back to that, they're creating descendants as numerous as the stars. And it wasn't just Israel, and we see that, that it's not. The gospel is good news for all people, even brutal Assyrians <laughs> in this. And so we have Jonah's idolatry in that sense. What about the mariners? What if this was about the mariners? Are, are the mariners sinners? Of course, the mariners are sinners too. They were worshiping all kinds of gods. They're like, why don't you call out to whatever God you can and maybe they'll listen to us so we don't drown in this moment. So they were about self-preservation. They were about worshiping of many different gods. This could very well be about them as well. Again, another form of idolatry. So what about the Ninevites? Like, well, there's a horrible, brutal, violent, angry, hateful nation. They're condemned. Why on earth, you know, in, in any of this would, would God you know, save them. And so they could, they certainly pay regard to vain idols, which is themselves. You know, the Bible even talks about their God is their belly. And that's true for so many people. So many people. Like, what are my needs? What are my wants, really? And then what am I going to do, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter if it's honorable or not, but what do I need to do to get what I want? And so that very much strikes me as the Assyrians or the Ninevites in this moment. Um, you and me, boy, we can go on for hours about that, I'm sure. You know, whether it's, you know, fame or power or, you know, greed, money, conquests, you know, ideologies, there's so many things. And then also the beauty of this is those who pay regard to vain idols, that's all the lost. It really, you can just say it's all people. Like, I can, I can get to specific groups, like I said, you, me, Ninevites, Mariners, Jonah, doesn't matter. <laughs> We're all in that same boat. We're all in that same, we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praise be to God that he sent his son in these moments unlike this. And so you can see that because they do forsake their hope of God's covenantal commitment and God's steadfast love for humanity because You've put whatever this is and your hopes and your faith and your identity above what God says all these things are. Your identity, your hope, your faith, your life. And you've put whatever this is above him. And that's our fundamental issue and our fundamental problem as human beings. And we see this so, so, so much. And so praise be to God and remember that, that the Lord is salvation in all of this. And then Jonah finishes up with his, you know, psalm here. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. 
and then the last half, salvation belongs to the Lord, which I don't, this verse, like, it doesn't gel together either. Because here's the thing, I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. I feel like he's made this a works-based system. He's like, well, shoot, God saved me, put me in the belly of a fish, like, I'm still alive, now I owe you, ugh, why do I owe you, why are you so nice, why are you God, and you're so righteous and holy and good, all right, I'll do what I said I'm going to do. I feel like that's us sometimes too, <laughs> you know, it is, it's kind of that reciprocal, it's kind of that, that piety or piety. And, and it also kind of seems like it's a works-based, like, okay, you scratched my back, I'm going to scratch your back. Uh, again, I, I love this analogy. It's like Christmas presents. Oh, you got me a Christmas present. Now i got to get you a Christmas present. I didn't want to get you a Christmas present, but now I have to kind of thing. And that's, again, that's that reciprocal type of, of love. But God's agape is not a reciprocal type of love. It is actionable. It's expressionable. And it does not expect things in return. It is just that way because God is just that way. He is just that good and just that loving kindness for all of us. And so salvation is from the Lord. It's by faith. And you can see that it's by faith too because Jonah in this instance is by faith. You saw the example of the mariners. Next week you're going to see the example of the Ninevites and all of them are saved by faith. None of them did some crazy, amazing good works, crazy, amazing anything. The, the salvation has just been by faith. And we know as Christians in the 21st century, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is nothing that we do personally to earn it, but we repent and we believe. Uh, Acts kind of summarizes it well. In the times of ignorance, God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And that's the truth. And so we do need to turn from our own ways, our own destructive ways, our own ways of running from God, our own ways of hurting ourselves and other people, and to turn back to God's righteous way, his right way. And it's not easy. And, and certainly we don't understand, as we see from Jonah too, that this isn't an easy calling, and, and I don't understand why you want to save awful evil people. But at the same time, then you have to come to realize that you are those awful, evil people, and God has saved you. Praise the Lord that he has done that. Praise the Lord that he has sent his son to be our savior, that he can be the atonement for our sins, that perfect, spotless, blemishless lamb that took on that punishment that we so rightly deserve as human beings. But God has done it. So in our running away from God, in our running away from ourselves even sometimes because we don't like who we are. We may have to lose ourselves to really find ourselves and our place in God. We try to make a place so many different places, <laughs> but our place is within God and in Christ. And we are here because he wanted us to be here in the first place. And the good news of all this certainly is that everything has been paid and we just need to walk in faith with the Lord. Stop running away. Stop turning. But repentance is really important because we all like sheep, which aren't very bright animals, all run away at different times. We see the shiny new object in the corner. And we're like, oh, that looks nice. <laughs> How can I get me one of those shiny objects in the corner? 
And then you see the other shiny object in the opposite corner, and you're like, well, that one's pretty nice, but that one, that one's even nicer. So I'm gonna try to get both. <laughs> and then, again, we, we just are so led astray. And, you know, we just need to walk in faith with the Lord ultimately, but praise be to God that he has created that pathway. Like, this isn't something new that you have, a wheel that you have to create and invent. Like, God has given us his word, his counsel. He's given us the last prophet in his son, Jesus. Then we do all of this, and we're able to do all of this because we know God is salvation, and he keeps his steadfast love for his children despite their constant need to turn back to God. <laughs> their constant need. So praise the Lord in all of this. And always remember that the Lord is salvation. And certainly, as we're seeing this story, embrace the storms of life. That's the song we're going to sing here, here later. Like, we will still praise you in the storm. Amen. So, dear Heavenly Father, I sincerely thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives and that you continue to walk with us. And despite our own rebellion, despite our own egos, and despite our own you know, piety and, and everything else that we do to that makes this life about our own, that you still continue to pursue us, you still continue to love us, you still continue to endure our sufferings with us. And Lord Jesus, you are just amazing for doing that because when realization hits and reality hits with the problems of sin, we don't deserve any of this. But because of your amazing steadfast love and your care for us, you call us to be a part of your kingdom. You give us the blessing of new life, Lord, and you give us meaning that we've never had before in our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for all these things, and I just ask that you continue to sanctify us, continue to change us into your likeness. And even though we're going to complain, because, Lord, you know we're going to complain, we will be with you through, throughout all of this, and that our faith won't shake because you are the giver of faith. You are the giver of life. And we thank you, and we love you, and we acknowledge all these points. It's in your name we pray. Amen.